Welcome to Offline Thoughts, where I talk about online personalities, cultural events, and popular movements. I'm really glad that you're listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So I was trolling through TikTok secretly because I've told people that I've quit TikTok because I had, but then I went back. And as I was scrolling through the live feeds, I came across this discussion that was taking place between, it was sort of like a group discussion where like there was like a central figure that was sort of like uh, narrating or uh, moderating is the word I'm looking for. So they were moderating the discussion, uh, but they had obviously chosen the topic of the discussion. And what they were saying, basically what they were posing to the general group was, the idea around sort of like acrimony around uh, the title cisgender. So the question was, why do so many cisgender women not like that term cisgender? Or I think actually they said it more neutrally. I think they said, why do, why do so many women take issue with the term cisgender? So basically people could phone in, not phone in because it's obviously TikTok and it's not in the 1980s, but people could basically ask to join the conversation and then they would give their, their two pence on why some women feel this way. And the discussion ended up sort of being dominated by these two people, so by the moderator and by a woman who called in. And the argument basically went something like this from the perspective of the, of the trans person. And actually the person wasn't a trans woman. It was hard to say they're pronouns were they them but they were visibly a male person like with a a big a beard and with a voice you know basically traditionally male person but they um had gender neutral pronouns and what the person was saying was they were trying to explain to the women who had issue with the cis label and how they argued the point which i kind of agree with was they were saying It's not that people are saying that you need to enter conversations and where traditionally you would have said, hi, my name is so-and-so, you now have to enter the conversation and say, hi, my name is so-and-so and my pronoun is cis, because obviously it's not a pronoun. What they were saying was that it's more a descriptor. So in the same way that you would look at somebody and and describe them using certain words. So you would say they're tall, for example, or they're short or they're Asian or they're straight or they're gay. Cis is just another form of of describing or it's an additional adjective to describe somebody and all it's saying is essentially that the person presents the way that they were born so they were born female and they live their life as a female or a woman and so there's no mismatch you know and obviously when people use the prefix trans what that's saying is that the person was born in a different body but they live their life in the opposite or the traditionally opposite way so obviously a trans woman is somebody who would have been born biologically male and then they live their life out in ways that are traditionally or typically female and vice versa with trans men who would be born biologically female but they would live their lives out um, in a way that was traditionally or typically male so you know, they were saying that they felt to some extent that the resistance or the pushback against that label, cis, given that it's just another adjective in the same way that you would say somebody is tall or short or black or white or straight or gay, that the anger with which people um, push back, I guess, against using that term sort of implies that they have some form of transphobia directed towards that person because really the term is a neutral word it's not signifying anything beyond describing the fact of you know somebody presenting the way that they were born and the cis woman's response was that they understood that but that they didn't identify with that label and they kept saying that in the same in the same way that they 
obey or respect trans people's pronouns and address them in the way that they would like to be addressed using the appropriate adjective shall we say they were saying that they simply don't identify with the word cis and that they would prefer just the term woman and that was pretty much the extent to which the woman was arguing she kind of kept saying that in the same way and the trans person kind of kept saying what they were saying in the same way and the conversation went back and forth a multiple like multiple times and eventually sort of people in the comments were kind of saying like you're saying the same things different ways and it it kind of came to a standstill and they kind of had to respectfully disagree with one another but what that conversation made me think of was one there was obviously two levels of conversations that were going on so on the surface level they were talking about you know the the topic at hand you know why do some women have an issue with being labeled cis But clearly, and I think usually when people find themselves being stuck in a conversation where they're going back and forth, I often feel that there's obviously something else below the surface. So in this case, I felt that there was a lot of things going on below the surface. And that's why they kept being rooted to the same points where they were basically speaking the same words to each other. So I'd like to unpack that in this um, in this episode. And what I'd like to talk about before I give my opinion on what I on where I fall on the cis discussion in general. It's going to sound like I'm going around the houses before I get to the actual point, but I actually think it's important to get there. Otherwise, the answer can seem like it's a blunt answer. And for me, the key to understanding sort of what was going on underneath is the concept of competing victimhoods. And I think that was very much taking place in this discussion because below the surface, you very much get the sense that there's a competition to establish who is the victim in that scenario because traditionally both these groups are marginalized groups so obviously trans people are marginalized and obviously women are marginalized so when those two victim groups are interacting around a subject where there is disagreement then the reason why they're going back and forth in circles i think is because really what they're trying to argue for below the surface is who exactly is the victim group because in other scenarios the answer is usually pretty straight cut. So when we're having discussions around around sexism or racism or homophobia, usually the the bounds and the positions of each group is pretty well defined and they are basically arguing from positions that they both accept. But in other, in other discussions where there is competing victimhoods where both groups are traditionally oppressed or marginalized groups, then it becomes a new territory because sometimes the victim the group that is used to being the victim can no longer claim that position in this specific situation and they may very well be the group that is now the perpetrator of insert whatever ism it is so why i think these discussions are going back and forth is because it's a very important place very important i guess to both parties to establish who is playing which role because obviously that is the first step to the rest of the conversation so If it is the case that it is women who are actually the perpetrators of bigotry in that situation, or or put another way, if it is cis women who hold the power reins in that discussion, then obviously the way the conversation takes place and what's expected of them is going to be pretty radically different and they're going to have to make changes and they're going to have to have humble pie basically because 
it's a new position for them to occupy where usually typically they are the group demanding for changes to be made for them because they are the ones who are seeking liberation. And obviously on the flip side then, if it is actually trans women who still hold the relative social power in that interaction, then basically cis women can dismiss their concerns or they can... I guess have a legitimate reason not to acquiesce to the requests for language changes because the cis women would still hold the relatively weaker social position. Now typically oppressed groups are able to work together because they have so many things that bind them together. So usually they've got a shared experience that binds them together, they've got a shared understanding of their oppressor, and they both share a same desire for liberation and usually liberation that is in a similar kind of way although not not always perfect so they may disagree on how exactly to achieve that liberation but they agree that liberation is required there are times though where the liberation can end up being derailed because the infighting can grow extreme if there's a fundamental disagreeing or disagreement around key principles and in this discussion of the that i observed in the tiktok video Obviously, another thing that's going on is that there there must be a disagreement around who is under the umbrella of womanhood in the first place. Otherwise, why should it matter so much the cis woman or the trans woman, what prefix is used if they all agree that all women are under that same umbrella? It must be that there's a level of infighting that's going on where The cis women clearly are not perceiving the trans women as women in the same way that they are. And that must be the reason why they're pushing against that label. Similarly, trans women must not be feeling as though women are perceiving them or embracing them or accepting them in the same way they accept, you know, female-bodied or female-born women. Otherwise, there really wouldn't be like this really antagonistic push against, you know, relatively benign labels. And it kind of brings to mind what I notice sometimes when we think about biracial people and black people. So some people think and feel that biracial people, let's say, for example, if somebody is it has one parent that's white and one parent is black, depending on how that child is socialized, you know, the outcome of that interracial couple, depending on how that child is socialized, they can either identify as biracial or they can identify as as black or they can identify usually they don't identify as white to be honest it's all usually those two options either the black or they're biracial now for the children who embrace being called black there can be some pushback from other black people who say listen you're not a black person because you're biracial so they're fundamentally questioning the idea that they that the biracial person belongs under that umbrella term black they're not saying that that biracial person doesn't have part blackness in them but they don't feel that that person isn't is black in the same way that the that the fully black so or the person with two black parents is black and I feel like there's a little bit of a parallel that's going on when you hear um, the discussion taking place around the cisgender label in general and this example of infighting is not you know unique or rare by any means when you look at other other groups you see that there's there's always like infighting that takes place so when you think of the feminist movement you think of all the things that 
you know people fall out over um one of the hot topics is around casual sex so some people think um the ability for women to engage in casual forms of sex with anybody they wish is a form of liberation because there's a very long time when women were not given sexual agency and where they were believed not to really be seeking pleasure in their intimate interactions and that sex was for the benefit of the male person in the relationship and so sexually free women see themselves as that sexually free free women and as a form of having autonomy over their bodies and having agency over their bodies but the flip side of that is there there are other feminists who say actually all you're doing is you're playing into the hands of men the stigma around sex has not gone away women and men when they engage in sex are treated very very differently men are often congratulated and their value quote-unquote goes up whereas women can often be tarnished with labels that can have damaging effects for their reputation another issue is around 50 50 relationships so some women say actually given that women have made such advancements in society and they earn a lot more and in some and in some categories of groups earn more than men then it's only fair that they pay 50 50 and that paying 50 50 also gives them agency over their finances because they don't have somebody who's paying their bills and therefore making demands on them but other women say listen this is a fool's errand because ultimately even if in some silos of women are they're making more money than men when you look at the picture globally or on a macro level then you know something like 90 percent of all land is owned by men like um most money in the world is owned by men if you look at the lifeline the lifetime earnings of men and women even if it looks like women out earn men in their younger years when you look at a longer picture a longer view you see that actually men still out earn them and then moving to other other liberation groups when you think of black liberation groups you know infighting is there as well there's the discussion around reparations where some people think you know Obviously, that's what is required to equalize the balancing scale that black people are so behind in the Western world, or actually, to be honest, all over, that the only way to even the the scales is for a, a large injection of resources, land resources, money resources, other resources, to even out the, the, the balancing scale. Whereas other people say, yeah, sure, but that's a pipe dream that's never, ever going to happen. And when you pursue such aggressive... Uh, revolutionary quote-unquote um, targets it alienates people who otherwise would be would be with you or be willing to campaign for you or give you other things others believe that actually forget reparations focus on pan-africanism because ultimately it's not until black people everywhere around the world unite and view themselves as first african that they will be able to have a, a coherent sense of identity and allow them to act in in ways that benefit each other Another contentious issue is around the idea of interracial relationships in general, about whether you can um, talk black and sleep white, for example, whether that compromises your your ability to act in a way that is in the best interest of the black collective. And moving past the liberation black liberation groups when you look at the lgbt community that's the infighting is no less there so you'll find that often women are still underrepresented in that space so you'll see the most visible people for example tend to be um tends tends to be gay men so when you think about pride when you think about who is in adverts and in campaigns you really you rarely ever see any lesbians you always see usually like usually like white gay men or if not like 
camp gay men in dresses usually but it's very rare that you actually see um lesbians or bisexual people being represented in the same way other contentious issues and infighting is that women as well within these groups often say that gay men are not um immune from practicing misogyny so they'll say that sure on the one hand they don't sexualize us in the same way that straight men sexualize us but they still do sexualize them there's still an invasion of personal space they're still looking at women through the sexualized lens so they say they still feel very much the same level of sexism from gay men it's just that they go about it very differently so the infighting can come from just disagreeing around different approaches to achieving the same goal or disagreements around relative power dynamics within groups and all this infighting is made much worse by the way because there's so many different examples of self-hatred or internalized self-hatred manifesting itself in a way that causes lots of discord in these groups so in the black liberation group for example you'll see how colorism and other forms of internalized racism can mean that they end up centering whiteness um, in a lot of ways not only in the ways that they go about seeking solutions for the problems that black people face but also just in terms of representation and who ends up being the face of these groups so one thing i often notice is that in black spaces i notice that either very light-skinned people or light complexion people or biracial people end up usually centered in these um in these groups so either they're the face of the organization or they're the most highly visible person and when i think of major like f groups that i followed you know as i've gone through my like discovery or journey of black liberation groups is i always think of very light people representing the group so when you think about malcolm x for example the nation of islam who's obviously a biracial man when you think about louis farrakhan when you think about angela davis when you think about Harry Belafonte, or even just somebody in more recent time, like times like uh, Jesse Williams, you know, they tend to be very light skinned. And I think often that's a result of colorism, both from the perspective of the internal group, so who they end up um, holding up as their leader, but also externally, who ends up getting platformed and being given opportunities to speak on these issues. Other examples of self-hatred in other groups is, for example, when you think about internalized homophobia. The person I always think about is when you think about Caitlyn Jenner, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, um, ends up being really welcomed into um, her new identity and is given lots of platforms to speak and does lots of interviews, is on magazines. And then shock horror when she's asked on the Ellen show about whether she supports same-sex marriage. She says no says that marriage is between a man and a woman and that basically gay people should not be allowed to marry which is a strange thing considering one i mean caitlin hasn't made clear who she's dating but i can only assume it's a man because honestly otherwise i feel like we would have seen this person a lot more and also you know a lot of people who transition end up dating the the same sex as who they were so if they were born female they end up dating a female a, a woman for example and the theory around that is that um in some cases it's a lot more difficult to face the the realization of being a gay person and how internalized homophobia can mean that the person thinks life would be much more simple if they could find a way to make it into the straight category so they feel that if they were to, to transition then they wouldn't be 
interacting or engaging in a, in a gay relationship, they would be in a straight relationship. So, so, you know, there's some proponents of that, you know, but beyond that, no matter how you slice and dice it, you know, the, the only explanation for Caitlin's comments can only be that it came from a deeply, um, deeply internalized homophobic um, area or space because otherwise there's just too many ironies in her comment to try and make sense of and then finally you know another example of um, of infighting or that an infighting that's caused by internalized self-hatred is when you think about women who are the mouthpieces for men who in any discussion will always land on the side of the male perspective regardless of whether it's in their own interests or or not and you know i think of trump supporters for example who listen to his comments talking about how he likes to grab women by the you know what and look at all his infidelities look at all the allegations that I'm sure are going to come out when when more information around what happened in Jeffrey actually no even beyond that I remember reading a reading this these court documents where there was like a Jane Doe actually a couple of women a couple of Jane Does that came forward back in the day and, and accused them of being a rapist basically so that's not even speculation at this stage but there are women who regardless of what facts you give them you could tell them you you could show them videos of men perpetrating the most vile evil acts and they'll still find a way to defend men and i can only assume that comes from a place of deep trauma you know at least psychological trauma that means that they never see the full humanity of other women they never see the pain of other women all they see is the suffering of men and what's in men's best interest so in general, infighting, you know, amongst amongst groups that should be aligned but has, still has tensions because of the other levels of power dynamics that's existing within these subgroups is really pretty typical. Now, on the other side of that coin, though, there are then groups who are bound not by their shared experience but by their status as both being victims. And because these groups both have the experience of being victims in their own right, there can be very close ties and sympathy between them. So think, for example, of the Black Liberation Movement and Jewish people and how aligned they can be, or think about the feminist movement and the LGBT movement and how closely aligned they are, or the feminist movement again and the sex worker movement, and also, you know, in more you know, current news, think of how sympathetic African people are with the Palestinian cause. And all of that is coming from not because they have a shared experience, because what oppresses one group can sometimes be very different, although in a lot of cases it can be very similar, but it's not so much a shared experience that they have in common. Um, For example, lots of feminists obviously aren't sex workers, but they're aligned over the fact that they both know what it feels like to be subjugated to the wills of men, for example or how Africans are really sympathetic towards the Palestinian cause, because obviously they have their own experiences with, with colonialism and they understand what it feels like to be at the mercy of a significantly more powerful group, or in this case, state. However, you know, make no mistake that this sympathy that can exist between these different separate groups does not mean that there's not going to be tension at times. And it does not mean that there isn't their own individual or specific power dynamics at play. So I talked about, for example, the power dynamics in the LGBT community, where obviously all gay people experience homophobia to a certain extent and they're bound by that experience but it's also true that within the LGBT that 
everybody is not an equal player. So gay men, white gay men specifically, will usually have the most opportunities or be platformed the most. And women, even within this group, usually are the least visible. And for example, you know, you'll be hard pressed to find many lesbian bars, but in most cities, you'll find many gay, um, like male gay uh, bars and clubs um, in a way that is not paralleled with with women and these differences in how resources are allocated and opportunities are allocated can end up creating levels of discontent and discord also when you look at the feminist movement you'll find that there's discord amongst black feminists who say the feminists sometimes can feel as though it's basically a liberation group or, or a liberation movement for Uh, white women because the white women in these groups do not pay attention or take an interest enough in how the intersection of being black and being a woman uniquely impacts black women and how in this space or in these spaces they can be in feminist spaces where they're supposedly both agitating for the same thing but still experience the racism of the white women in these groups which means that they're not able to fully participate and which means that they're essentially fighting two wars at the same time so these groups can be aligned but they can also be misaligned because of the power dynamics at play and also sometimes these arrangements or these groups are basically arrangements of convenience where they're both fighting the same enemy so they end up sort of banding together but they still have differing interests in some ways and sometimes those interests can still be brought into the fold and still be made to align but sometimes those tensions can be too great and it means that fractions end up taking place no actually not fractions fractures so that brings us back to the topic at hand you know what i brought up at the beginning of the episode around the tiktok video that i was watching So obviously, as we talked about already, the top level conversation was around, you know, simply the question being asked, why do some women have an issue with cis, with the cisgender label or as being marked or identified as a cisgender person? And the response from the other women on who were calling in or not calling in or who were, you know, asking to join the conversation, they were saying, that's not my identity. I don't identify with that term. I identify as just woman. And please respect my pronouns or please respect the way I choose to identify in the way that I respect how you choose to identify. That was the surface conversation. But I think what was going on beneath the surface is that it felt as though there were two very distinct groups jostling for power in that conversation or if not power jostling to identify which victim group and had the higher victim status and therefore which group had to acquiesce to the demands of the other and for me i think there's at least three ways to interpret the discussion so the first possibility is that the woman who was participating in the conversation and who kept saying that she doesn't identify as cis, that she doesn't want to be called cis, that she only wants to be called woman or doesn't want any prefix to her identity or her gender identity is simply transphobic. So it's not so much that she has an issue with the label cisgender, which she still has an issue, but it's not really about the label. It's that she has an issue in general with trans people and this is just the least contentious issue that she has arrived upon so in many other discussions it's very easy to identify how people truly feel about a subject so in the discussions around for example 
trans women in sports or trans women using bathrooms um like female bathrooms or just in the uk the discussion around self-id it's very easy to discern how people feel about trans people and in those conversations because they have to be a lot more revealing of what they feel and a lot more revealing in in the reasons that underpin their opinions about and about any of these subjects right so it's not good enough for them to just say oh you know i just don't want them to use the bathroom or i just don't want them to participate in sports they have to to specifically give the reasons and those reasons can really tell you a lot about how somebody thinks about a subject and it's not just obviously limited to these kinds of discussions around uh, gender identity it's also in other areas you know so for example people who lose their shit because um a book character that whose identity whose racial identity was never revealed ends up being played by a black person the reason they never say it's because i don't i i'm racist they won't say that they'll say well this is just not a true depiction of what the person is which is a lot more easier to hide their true feelings because again they're not having to give their true reason of why they have an issue with something so when i was listening to the discussion as well i thought there's every possibility that the woman is just hiding behind this specific hill that she wants to die on so she's choosing this specific topic because she doesn't have to identify how she feels about trans people or trans women in general but she can still assert how she feels about them by being overly resistant towards the label and now i personally don't call people who disagree with elements of the trans movement as transphobic i think there's lots of things that need to be discussed sports for example as i highlighted earlier is one of those areas i'm passionate about or for example prisons as well you know anything where physical disparity can end up meaning that women are disadvantaged i am i think are contentious places that we can still have conversations around but in the discussion around cis gender labels being used it felt as though it really wasn't about the label at all because again as the as the person that the moderator pointed out it, it's not as though they're using it in the sense of you need to identify yourself before you engage with anybody that anybody that this is how you identify as it really isn't it was in the same way that the person was saying you would describe somebody as being a tall woman or a short woman or an asian woman or an african woman or a european woman you'd you know you'd use that adjective to break down a little bit further and make more specific you know like the specific characteristics of that person and as somebody pointed out online as well you know sometimes we think of cis as being a new word but it's actually a a pre-existing word it's not a word that you know, trans people made up just to be able to weaponize against, um, against, I guess, just cis people. It literally just means you are on the same side. So you're on the same side in both identity and expression. So, you know, the suspicious part of me thinks the fact that she was willing to die over this hill and this hill being not that big of a hill, really. I mean, there's there's there are a lot more contentious issues and bigger issues and more explosive issues to be passionate about or to be engaged about. But to be so overly focused on this seemed as though it wasn't really about the label at all. It was about how she felt about the trans person and trans people in general and what the seeding ground on this specific topic represented to her. Now, another way to interpret the discussion in my view is that it might just be old-fashioned gender wars that are going on. And the reason I say this is because, you know, when you think about trans women right now, because 
you know, it's only really relatively, the movement has only really relatively gained significant traction in the last maybe 10 years or so. Obviously, I know trans people have been agitating for their rights for a very long time, but in terms of it being a mainstream conversation and where legal changes have been made and people have been able to access, for example, healthcare and things like that, it really hasn't been that long. And what that means is that for the overwhelming majority of trans people, they will have been socialized as the sex that they were born into. Specifically with trans women, they will have been socialized as male or as boys or as young teenage boys or as young um, adult males or adult men for the majority of their lives, which means it's obviously going to impact how they view um, cis women. It's going to impact how they interact with them. It's going to impact how they speak with them. To, and it's also going to impact what they ask of them and how they ask for, the, for those things from them. And one thing I like to do is sometimes when I'm having an emotional response to a conversation or I'm trying to understand the subtext of what might be going on is I like to turn the volume off on something and just watch it in silence. Then you're able to observe the facial expressions, you're, you're able to observe the room and how it's moving and who's who's more physical or who's more agitated. You know, you can see it much more clearly without being distracted by the words in that moment. And what I do notice in these debate forums is that when you look at the way in which um, trans men interact with conversations and cis women interact with these conversations, you can see that they interact with them in a way that is very markedly different to how trans women engage in these conversations. And I think that goes down to just socialization. I think when you're socialized as male, I think a lot of the times you can notice that they have this unearned confidence, I would say, where they're much less likely to sort of overthink or the situation or not think they belong in spaces or not think that they're not good enough or think that they don't have a right to vocalize their opinions. And I think the biggest thing that men are given or afforded their right to is that they're encouraged to take up space in so many different ways. Even when you think about how men are on the tube, like they'll spread their legs and they'll just take up room or how they are in, in office meetings and team meetings, they will, voice every, they will voice every stupid opinion regardless of whether that opinion is well received or not because they've been socialized in a way to believe that their voice matters and that they've got a right to express their opinions and that their opinions really matter and I also think that they are socialized to dominate women in very subtle ways I mean obviously we know ways that aren't subtle but I think even in everyday interactions they're socialized in a way to sort of be the voice of reason to be the rational voice to believe that they are good at explaining things and that they are the ones who are supposed to be in the teaching role or the teaching position and that's where things like mansplaining comes about because you have men explaining to you things that you already know or explaining it to you in through the lens of his male experience and trying to make that experience universal or to include you in their new reshaped way of thinking and expect you to go along with that without question. So I sometimes feel that that's also what's going on in these kinds of discussions. So when I was listening to the TikTok video and I was watching them go, watching them go back and forth, one of the thoughts that I had was that the trans person was so confident correcting and explaining to the women who are calling in, but not interacting with their arguments in a way where they were equals, very much in a sort of patriarchal sort of 
I know best. I will tell you how to feel like you silly little woman sort of way of going about it. Because when people are having conversations, actually, people can have very explosive conversations, but have them in a way that feels very polite and have them in a way where it feels as though both people's opinions are equally valid. You can also tune into conversations where it feels as though on the surface they're being very polite, but actually what's going on is that one person is the authoritative figure and the other person is just supposed to comply. So I felt a little bit of that on the call as well, where it did feel as though that's what the cis woman was responding to, because it felt as though she didn't have the words to vocalize the emotional feeling that she was getting from that from that conversation. But the more and more the trans person kept digging their heels in and sort of politely correcting, the more the cis woman would dig her heels in, almost in a way of sort of, it really wasn't about the conversation on the surface anymore it was about how both people were feeling in those in that specific conversation at this point and to really underscore this point I'd like to point out as well that really when you think about a lot of the think pieces that we see about the changing landscape of language a lot of the videos that we watch a lot of sort of the general changes that have taken place around language use specifically has often been directed towards women. It's actually very rarely directed towards men. And it's actually very rare for it to be men who are being asked to make changes to just generally their spaces. So I saw, I went to the British gallery, British gallery, British museum. Was it? No. Oh no. It was the British library. So I went to the British library over the summer and there were two bathrooms uh, one that would have been just male, another one female, you know, maybe 10 years ago. But on the male one, it just had a symbol of the male figure, you know, the one that we see on bathrooms. But on the female, it had every other symbol on there. So it had, it was female, it was disabled, it had the, it was trans, it was, it was, what's the other one? Oh yes, it was also uh, the the baby changing facilities. There must have been like five individual symbols on there. And what was funny is that when you compared it to the, to the men's one, it was just male. So I think to some extent, when we're having these conversations, I think sometimes what women, cis women are responding to is the feeling that they are being corrected, I suppose you could say, or that the changes that they are being asked to make, not that they're unreasonable in and of themselves, but that it isn't equally applied to their male counterparts, almost as though they can be told to change how they feel about subjects and to be expected to be accommodating, but men are expected to sort of just be who they are, regardless of who's making these changes. And what it means essentially is that they get to go about their business and they get to retain their power and make no changes while the women are being, you know, pulled and stretched and told how to be and how to feel and how to be accommodating. And I think on an emotional level, people can respond in a way that ends up being irrational. So obviously it's irrational pushing back against such a benign label because literally it's just a term that already exists anyway that it, that predates the trans experience or the trans movement. So the fact that people are willing to die on this hill is pretty irrational, but I think that irrationality is probably coming from the subtext of what's going on. And that subtext is exactly what I just described, this feeling of accommodations being expected from women in a way that it's not expected from men. And then also people who are socialized as male end up exhibiting 
those kinds of male privilege and male dominance in those spaces, but while still occupying the label of being a victim or or victimhood in that space. So those two things are happening at the same time. They are on the one hand, obviously marginalized because of their tea experience, but then also they still have that, that male privilege of having of having been socialized in that way and therefore meaning that they can come to expect things of women that, you know, any typical person that's been socialized as male would expect, would come to expect. And there's a sense of entitlement, I guess, not in what they are, they are asking for, but in the way they go about asking for those things. And then the final interpretation I took away from the TikTok video was, I think, when I was trying to understand it from the trans person's experience and trying to be compassionate about why they felt so passionate about the cis label being used as being used as a countervailing force for the for the trans for the trans prefix, I think it's probably because they are seeking some form of equality. Because to a certain extent, it is true that when you use a prefix, in some ways, it implies that the person without the prefix is the real thing or is the authentic thing. And then the prefix is like a lesser version of or a less true version of or a less authentic version of. And I thought about it from the perspective of the two labels of American and African-American. So when people, when some people are just called American and we know who those people are and some people are called African-American. And obviously they're all as American as each other or, you know, specifically they're, none of them are American, but if anybody's going to be American, they all have an equal claim to being American. So the African-American prefix can be interpreted by many as being a way to remind the African, African population or African-American population that they are in some way less American or less entitled or less naturally American than their counterparts who are just called quote-unquote American. Now, if we really wanted to be fair, if we really wanted to have equality, then really the label should either just be American for everybody or everybody gets a prefix. So it's European-American, it's African-American, it's Asian-American, it's Italian-American, whatever it is, it certainly isn't just African-American, Asian-American, and then everybody who's basically white gets to be called just American. No, they should be called European-American as well. And I think that's what the trans person was, was saying, because the premise is that we are all women. And since we are all women, then we should either all have prefixes, so some are trans women, some are cis women, or nobody should have a prefix. Everybody should just be woman. And to have a prefix is to imply that there is a true representation of woman and then there is an othering woman or there is another category of woman that has less of a claim to womanhood and I think that's really one of the the biggest subtext that was going on I think that's what both both sides of the discussions were dancing around that central issue and I really wish I'd been able to have that discussion because it would have saved a lot of stress from both sides because the conversation as I said really ended up being rooted and at the end we really weren't able to have an honest uh, conversation because both sides maybe they just didn't hadn't identified how they truly felt about the issue but it felt as though there was a, a missed opportunity to just say what you feel and have the other person interact with what you feel. 
So that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on the episode and, you know, if you disagreed in any way. Um, let me know if you listened to that specific live as well. And if you've had that experience of what I was describing about being in a victim group where there is dissent and tensions within the group, or if you've had the experience of being in different victim groups and having that tension flare up, and specifically how you coped with that or what's the path to resolution. You can send all your questions and comments to my email. It's offlinethoughts.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening in and catch you on the next one.